I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? We are back. Philadelphia Daily News columnist David Murphy joined by Inquirer columnist Mike Sielski for your latest edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I like to refer to myself as your partner in media on media crime. Yeah. What was that all about? Howie Roseman, man. I, uh, you know what? Let's, uh, in case you were not up at 6 a.m. and hang on Angelo Cataldi's every word, let's play for you the clipping question. I love Howie. Every, every, <laughs> every time he kind of starts to fade back in the background, he comes out and says something stupid. He's like, uh, you know, it's, it's just like, like Godfather 3, just when you think you're out. All right, so he the, pulls you back in. So to set, let's set this up, first of all, because Go. this touches on a no- number of topics that we've discussed on this show. There was a bit of a uh, kerfuffle. Not kerfuffle. Brouhaha. It was a media, a a sourced, an unsourced brouhaha, I I guess you would call it. We are recording the show on Wednesday, May. No, we're not. What today's today? Today's Thursday. All right. Well, whatever. We usually record on Wednesday. So today is Thursday, May, whatever. 11th. In the 11th. I know it's in the 10s. And yesterday, which would be Wednesday. Correct. The fine, fine, fine Eagles beat writer at the Philadelphia Inquirer, Jeff McLean, broke a story correct did he break it he did he did the he he had a story up on our site that said that brandon graham was dissatisfied with his contract and was going to do the old not show up for o- the evan mathis let's yeah call it. not show up for things that he doesn't have to show up for okay it, it really is it's like part it's like a diplomatic lodging a diplomatic it's like very like a diplomatic procedure like yeah a, it's parliamentary procedure i guess right. you could say where this time of year uh, you know, every team has one veteran where, you know, since he signed his contract, a bunch of the young guys have signed bigger contracts mm-hmm. and he's outperformed the last year. And he says, my he's le- outperformed some of the guys who have signed bigger contracts right. and my, and, and my leverage is never going to be as high as it is now. So I'm going to, uh, you know, formally lodge, I'm going to formally air my grievance and right. do it by not showing up for OTAs. It's like Festivus for football players. Yes, exactly. So Brandon Graham happens to be that player this year and I would say deservedly so, and I would also say that the Eagles kind of brought this on themselves by signing Vinnie Curry to a contract that this year will make him the sixth highest paid <laughs> defensive end in the National Football League, which is something that we've discussed on the show prior. Yes. A contract that, from the start, I did not understand. Um, bad bet. Bad, bad bet. Yeah, it was just, whatever. We'll get into that. But anyway, so Jeff writes this story, cites, you know, sources, two sources, mm-hmm. um, Saying that Graham is is not going to show up for not OTAs, show up, probably not going to show up, and may hold out, but may right. not. You know, he didn't really get into. I mean, the like reading the, the smokes you know, to compare this against the baselines of other holdouts. This is one of those situations where once it's mandatory, Brandon Graham shows up and is good mm-hmm. team. I mean, keep in mind, Brandon Graham. It, it's an it's an awkward. The whole the whole thing is awkward because Brandon Graham was just trotted out in front of the media a couple of weeks ago and talked about how much he's looking forward to uh, being a big leader this year. Right. And how Vinny Cur- he thinks Vinnie Curry is going to have his b- the best year of his career. Exactly. But then, like the agent, as he should, <laughs> you know, says, "Hey, we're going to try to get you some more money. Just relax and uh, defer all comment to me, and you know, just go with it." Right. So, like Brandon Graham, probably this is why guys have agents. Like he would probably never do this by himself because, of course not. You know, 
the agent can be the bad guy now, and, and right. none of this will ever actually have happened by the end of it because nobody on the record will talk about it. <laughs> it's amazing how that works. So anyway, that's kind of where our kerfuffle comes in because as soon as Jeff's story drops, Howie Roseman almost – it's almost as if he had the interviews lined up and the, yes. text mes- the anonymous text messages ready to send He's because like – Finger poised above the group text right. send as soon as our uh, the story popped up. So on once the story breaks, the way it works is like, you know, everyone – Every other reporter then texts the GM and the agent and then waits to see what happens. Um, and it, I guess Howie, I mean, the source who may or may not be Howie, his, the, the, the alleged company line was, you know, I see nothing, I know nothing, let's right. wait and see, essentially. Like, there is no holdout, but at the same time... Yeah. Was it's, that your impression? Mean, yeah, was that was totally my impression. Yeah, look, th- this is this is the kind of thing where they're going to deal with it internally, and then once it... Once Jeff writes his story and it appears that there is internal not strife that's probably too harsh a word but that there's some back and forth that's going to come about um then you as howie roseman uh have to from a pr standpoint and an image standpoint and and a dealing with the agent standpoint have to throw a blanket on the fire yeah i mean essentially is what it comes down to without knowing without having talked to anybody involved in the situation right but having covered many of these things what happened? The agent decides essentially. I need some. I need. I'm gonna try to get Brandon Graham some more money. I need the leverage. I need to figure out. You know who who I'm going to, like who's right. gonna who's gonna be the person to break this story. So, you know, usually the smoke starts from the agent's camp. Right. And then it's in the team's interest to kind of downplay it and and you know right. mitigate that leverage and say there's nothing to see here. Brandon Graham's happy. We talked to him. Yada yada yada. Yeah. So so essentially, how he was reacting to Jeff's story, saying that. Brandon Graham's going to be looking for money and trying to downplay that to a point where, like, everything's fine and will work itself out. Right. Pretty much the opposite of what happened in the Evan Mathis situation. Exactly. Where this does not end with Brandon Graham (laughs) getting Getting cut. cut. Anyway. So all of that is a a precursor, a prelude to Howie appearing on Angelo Cataldi's morning show on WIP this morning, Thursday morning, and offering this interesting Yeah. Soundbite. So here's here's here here's Howie. All right, Howie. Let's start with this. Obviously, there's a story today about Brandon Graham not attending the voluntary workouts. Is it a concern of yours? What can you tell us about Brandon right now? Oh, my favorite part of this story is the media on media crime and watching it from ten thousand feet. <laughs> I, I do get joy out of seeing that. You know, I- watching it from ten thousand feet. He's dropping the bombs from ten thousand feet. That make this thing happen. That's that's what's so amazing about this. And what's, I, I have a feeling you're going to echo this, which is that, you know, he gets joy out of this. This is a general manager, who has not won a playoff game. the 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 franchise of which he is the general manager has not won a playoff game since the early days of 2009. And this is the stuff he gets joy out of. It's crazy to me. Absolutely crazy. Oh, my favorite part of this story is the media on media crime and watching it from 10,000 feet. <laughs> I, I do get joy out of seeing that. You know, I- all right. Let's, let's, first of all, Angela, like, this is all you need to do to get on this town's good side is, is call to Angela every morning. Yeah. Listen, listen to the guy. Yeah. Like, just cackling in the background like he, <laughs> like, a, like the guy's over here blowing complete smoke up his butt, and, and he seems yeah, to be but enjoying a- look, it. But Angelo, look. A- I Angel- respect Angelo. He knows what he is, but like, yeah. it still sounds like he's enjoying the feel of smoke tingling up his rear end. Well, look, 
I like Angelo. I've gotten he's he's been very nice to me when he's had me on. So I'm reluctant to, and he's done his job well for a quarter of a century. Yeah, now. I'm just saying. Well, so. that's what the, I think. I think he's he's one of the more uh, at least he's honest with with us. But right. But right. to like listen to that, like you're actually gonna get anything out of this interview where yeah, it's like yeah, he's just being how he's being encouraged to go on there and say right, what, you know, it's and, like don't and, give me the truth, just make me make me cackle. Right, and this is this gets to again another topic where that we've batted around here over the last year or so, which is I mean don't don't get me wrong, I like the feel of a good puff of smoke <laughs> um, on my skirt, but the the actual what what the the, the the way that you get on this town's good side is by talking a really good game and stroking. But so, here's my thing with Howie. Yeah. He's not talking a good game. Like he, He's the kind of guy who thinks he talks a good game. What I mean is that's interesting content for that show, for Angelo's show. And that's all Angelo's worried about. Like it gets back to what we've discussed. No, it's fine from Angelo's perspective. Yeah, but from Howie's but it, perspective, like you said, this, but this it gets is a guy. What, but it gets back to what we were talking about before the show, which is – you know, the Eagles win the offseason every single year. They always win the offseason because they do a whole bunch of stuff that looks really interesting, and then the season comes around and they're out of the playoffs again. When, you know, rather than looking at the substance of what they're doing, and that gets everybody excited and everybody optimistic, and then everybody forgets about that when the team goes bad. Instead of evaluating this from the standpoint of, is what they're doing smart? Are they acting intelligently? It's just, is it exciting? Is it something that's giving us something to talk about and maybe get excited about in kind of an empty, uh, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain kind of way? But he is the man behind the curtain. And it's like, to think that he still is at a point in time. Look, if I am invested emotionally, financially, whatever, in an organization, mm-hmm. I want my, I want the leader of that organization to be 100% focused on instituting his plan for making that organization as as great as it can be Mm -hmm. i don't want him sitting back reading headlines on profootballrumors.com and and laughing at how uh you know the crazy media are chasing their tails Mm -hmm. when he's the one causing the one causing them to chase their tails like it's just like weird like why are you do you think bill belichick's up there like sitting in his office like oh how can i mess with the media today you know it's just like you know he reminds like John Stewart, every time Howie talks, I think of John Stewart's George W. Bush punctuation. He would always start. <laughs> do you ever watch The Daily Show? With uh, the, every once in a while. He would, just do, he would just do this thing with Bush whenever he would, Bush would talk. And he would, yeah. he would always follow up with like, because <laughs> <laughs> Bush would like say these things trying to be funny. Yeah. He was just in the context of one. It's more of like being tone deaf to the context of the situation. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where like he'd try to joke and, you know, whatever your politics, Stewart would make fun of it and mm-hmm. it would be funny to me but um like that's just what it's just like how he tries too hard to be funny in situations that don't really you right know. yeah i get it I, I i mean i think it's 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 just silly like and, and and to me i see this like this has been going on in a way for a while right. with this organization you know look at the again we discussed this when it happened last year like look at the post uh to you know the post trades before the 2016 draft before they got uh Carson Wentz the aftermath of that was like let's make sure everybody remembers 
that Sam Bradford is a bad quarterback. Right. You know, and so we're going to have Dave Spadaro and our chosen few media talk, you know, radio talk show hosts remind everybody that Sam Bradford is a wimp because he won't, he's thinking about requesting a trade and doesn't want to play in Philadelphia. You know, let's. Let's do this on the, the sports talk station this morning. Like, oh, media, media crime, ha, 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 ha. When in fact, like, this is a situation that a football team now has to deal with where its best defensive end might not be as happy as he ought to be. So here's, and this is to me is, is why, and, and it, this you know, to me more than anything is why Howie comes across just like, like, dude, you're the one who gave Vinny Curry the contract right. that has now <laughs> set up this entire thing. Like, you're the reason why mm-hmm. Brandon Graham is going to be holding out. And to like take, a, I don't know, it just comes across as like, I don't want to say unprofessional because God knows anyone listening to this podcast knows that we shouldn't be throwing those <laughs> kinds of stones. But it just comes across shallow as like, like and dude, like, all right. Petty. It's shallow and petty. Here's the, here's the, and, and this is the reality of the situation. Like, if I was Howie Roseman, I would be kicking myself for ever having signed Vinnie Curry, not because of the Brandon Graham contract, but, or the Brandon Graham holdout, but because if I had not signed Vinnie Curry and Chase Daniel, I would have had enough money to sign A.J. Boye right. this offseason. So over the next two years, this could be just over the next year, mm-hmm. but the Eagles will pay at minimum $21 million moving forward to Vinnie Curry and Chase Daniel, <laughs> the latter of whom is not even on the team, the former of whom might enter the season. Might as well not be on the team. Like if, he's, you know. he's completely superfluous. Like yeah. he's like, yeah. It's, it's, I have already predicted that. I think that he will be another third defensive end this year at most. I think that Derek, I think uh, Derek, Derek Barnett Martin. is already better than him. Right. You know, like I think he already makes. You had to, like for every, for all the optimism about Derek Barnett, like you had to draft Derek Barnett because you paid Vinnie Curry money that you right. shouldn't have paid him because he can't play. But now, so, so, but this is what a general, this is, this is the gentleman, this is not Joe Douglas's job. This is the gentleman, right. Joe Douglas, even if he does his job 100% well, still hands his information over to Howie Roseman and and says, you make these pieces fit the best way you think that's... Howie Roseman builds the roster. He decides where the resources get allocated. Joe Douglas tells him, this guy's good, this guy's good, this guy's good, but he doesn't say, this should be our macro strategy moving forward. We should invest $12 million in Chase Daniel versus $12 million (laughs) in somebody else. Mm -hmm. So anyway, $21 million in outstanding cap charges over the next two years, they will pay to Chase Daniel and Vinnie Curry. Over that same time period, the Texans will pay A.J. Boye $27 million. The Ravens will pay Ricky Wagner less than that and only $29.5 million over three years. Right. Steph, you know, so here's the thing. And we haven't even, got, are, we haven't even scratched the surface of what they might have to pay, let's say, uh, Alshon Jeffrey right. if they decide to resign. Right. So this is like a very apples-to-apples, either-or proposition. This is fundamental economics and, and opportunity cost substitution cost whatever like the the question is are the eagle are the eagles a better team with vinnie curry and chase daniel even the ghost of chase daniel as <laughs> as they have right now or are they a better team with minus those two players but add aj Boye? yeah um and it's even like that's being as conservative to the organization as you can because you can really you can really create a roster using not all that much ridiculous amounts of hindsight like like, so he he later in the that would city, be far better than the that one would be they far have better now. than the one they have now. I mean they're they're paying. It's not just cutting Chase Daniel. It's then paying Nick Foles five million dollars a year to be a backup. Like you just look at where at some point the allocation of resources on this roster is just like crazy. You know, 
you could subtract like like you're paying three tight ends at least three million dollars. You know, you're paying your two tackles, you know, a combined twenty four million dollars. Mm-hmm. You're paying. It's just there's a lot of like when you look the when you look at a roster like the Eagles, there's a reason why it looks the way it does because that's what happened. It's like the Phillies. They they, they got so concentrated in their resources that like, oh wait, we don't have two corner outfielders for our yeah. team because all of our money has been spent everywhere else. Right. So, and we're going to have to run out John Mayberry Jr. and Lance Nix and mm-hmm. Michael Young out there. And, and like, guess what? That ends up mattering. Yeah. And Howie, I'll play this a little late. I'll play this in a second. But he, he says at some point, like, he keeps saying, when we get back to where we need to be. He, he was talking about Sidney Jones later yeah. in that, that WIP interview. And, like, the Sidney Jones pick is going to be the pick that they hang their hat on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's kind of like great player Sidney Jones, but he also can't prove them wrong for at least two years. Exactly. You know, um, That's exactly. And right. if he does prove them wrong, it's nobody's fault because it's like, ah, oh, well, we took a chance. I like the pick, but you know, Sidney Jones, how he brought up voluntarily in that interview when asked about the draft and like, look how smart we are and blah 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 blah. But he says like, he references the Sixers and he says our our job is going to be, you know, to get Sidney Jones back to a point where he can help us become the team that we want to become the be the team that we want to be mm-hmm. and it, you can you can't do that all that much in football as big of a process guy as I've been mm-hmm. with the Phillies and and the Sixers you know by the time Cindy Jones takes the field for the Eagles there's a good chance Carson Wentz is a year away from a huge contract extension that that's going to pay him 20 million right. a and, year right and in the NFL the value of just having a warm professional body exceeds that value in the NBA. The difference between drafting Joel Embiid and taking the chance that he turns out to be healthy and drafting a much lesser player who is healthy, who you know is going to be healthy, is far more substantial than in the NFL. But I I guess what I'm saying is like they keep making signings that will help them for this year yeah. But then they keep talking about yeah. how, well, we're right. just trying to get back to where we need to be. Yeah. We're going to need patience in all this stuff. Right. And like, Which gets back to my theory about Doug Peterson's future with the franchise, which is they, the guys they have signed for right now are all, predominantly guys on offense. It's Alshon Jeffrey, it's Torrey Smith, it's Chance Wormack. Um, Chase Wormack, whatever is, you know, the, the, the offensive lineman. It's re-signing Stefan Wisniewski. It is, the offense is built for, hey, right now. You know, our best, their best running back is Darren Sproles mm-hmm. at this point. Um, you have Jordan Matthews in the last year of his contract. Is he going to be traded? Is he not going to be traded? If he's not traded, then, you know, you better hope that you get something out of him this year. That's, that's all predicated on, to me, Doug Peterson better make it work with the offense. Well, that's what I, and that's what I said after they signed Alshon Jeffrey is I think that they have just set up – Doug Peterson to like there's a huge amount of Doug P- pressure on Doug Peterson. Yes. I also think there's a huge amount of pressure on Howie Roseman um, in a weird way because if Alshon Jeffrey does not turn out to be the receiver that you know people think he is mm-hmm. which I don't think he is mm-hmm. and clearly a lot of N- other NFL general managers right. don't think that he is uh, that will reflect very first of all it, I think it will go down on Doug's head obviously. Yeah. Um, I don't it, think there's any doubt about that because the defense is not his look at it this way and Kevin Cooney from the Bucks County Courier Times actually pointed this out. The head coach of this organization is right now, at best, the fourth most important person in the organization. At best, the owner, the general manager slash player personnel, you know, head mm-hmm. Howie Roseman, 
Joe Douglas, Carson Wentz. Yeah, that's a weird thing. We could do a whole podcast. We could, on that. but th- then Doug maybe even with Jim Schwartz because Doug doesn't have anything to do with the defense. Yeah, see, I would say that, except you either way, you no can't matter- convince me anybody else signed Chase Daniel. Okay, but you can also throw the guy a bone. Yeah, you could. Um, here's what just I just give think. me this one. guy. I think that you're trying to look at the entire organization and far too logical. <laughs> uh, like I think I don't know that there is a hierarchy necessarily. Like it I may not be. Yeah. When you talk about collaboration, um, like I think honestly, and this is complete speculation, but I think Jeffrey Lurie has always thought he was more involved than everybody else. He thought he was, mm. and I think Andy Reid probably did a good job of making fe- him feel like he was involved. You know, I don't think he was necessary. I think he got to a, look. I think the whole thing with Chip Kelly was that Jeffrey wasn't having fun anymore with his football team because mm-hmm. Chip probably just completely froze him out. Yeah. And I think it's how the Patriots work where, um, you know, and they're, they're good friends. Craig Belichick and Belichick. And, I mean, but I mean Belichick and Kelly. Yeah. I think Kelly is the kind of guy who expects, like, look, you, you brought me in here to win. You go go to your cocktail parties mm-hmm. and, like, entertain your, your you know, friends on right. game day. But, like, I'm going to do – like, you hired me to win. That's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas Lurie, I think, likes being in. He likes yeah. going on the road to scout yeah. guys and like you know eating steak with Carson Wentz right. and like looking at the tape. And I think Howie was always kind of Jeffrey's extension. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't I don't think you can necessarily separate Howie and Jeffrey. Okay. I think that um, that's fair. I think that like like I think the Carson Wentz thing more and more as you've said all along it was, was all Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. You know I think I wouldn't be surprised if the Alshon Jeffrey thing was all like I think Jeffrey Lurie. Is is an activist owner that okay. nobody really I th- gives I think, him credit for being an activist yeah, owner. I, and yeah, and I think you can just substitute Howie for yeah. you know Jeff. You know what we need? We need an astute and experienced Philadelphia sports columnist to help us sort this out. Well, since we don't have that, why don't we talk to Bob Ford? Okay. All right, so we are here with uh, Bob Ford, who is uh, kind enough to join us on a day that he's going to be writing a column. Um, so tough life. It's it's difficult. Uh, he also had a softball game this morning. Stay grinding, Bob. So uh, <laughs> um, it's been a busy day for him. Bob, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, good to good to be with you guys. And uh, do I get a, like a coffee mug or anything out of this? You know what? We could do that. Yeah, we'll see if um, you know our marketing department can create a. Not another Philly sports talk show coffee mug, and uh, we'll get that right out to you. Yeah, we'll change that subject. Yeah, I mean, quick. you guys are, you guys are building kind of an empire. I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm jealous. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, what did you make of what Howie Roseman uh, had to say about uh, Jeff McClain's reporting about Brandon Graham? We've been kind of batting that about, um, and kind of the. Uh, the media game that gets played after news like this comes out. That the Eagles spin is that uh, Graham's agent has not requested yes. any sort of uh, a contract renegotiation and that, you know, talk is terribly premature about him not coming, that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, I guess if there's one thing that Howie is going to be super defensive about, it's going to be contracts and contract negotiations. Because let's face it, he's really given away a lot of his uh, player personnel control to Joe Douglas, or at least we think he has. So if he's going to protect any any beach in, in that organization, it's going to be that one. Uh, 
it seems like a odd spot to pick to for a battle. Like, well, let's just wait and see what happens and how he's not going to look really good if it turns out that uh, Brandon Graham is holding out. Uh, he's he's going to look like he was trying to downplay a story that was accurate. And if the story turned out to be inaccurate of its own accord, then then just reporting would fail then. So you know, I thought it was an odd spot, as I said, to pick a to pick a battle with somebody. But you know, we're hearing a lot of spin on a lot of different things this week. It's been an interesting week for spin. Well, let's talk about that. This might seem a bit of a quantum leap, but okay. Like there is such a thing as reality, and. Even if source A says something and source B says the exact opposite, there's still like something in between them where that there's actual reality. But it's like we we live in a world now where like you have no idea what, what even the hell is going on. And I think there's a lot of like parallels between the political sphere and uh, and the sports reporting sphere. I mean, I woke up this morning having no idea what to believe was was actually going on, but clearly something's going on. But if like you just negate everything that gets reported, then nobody has ever has any idea what's actually going on. Well, I'm just wondering, David, having known you for a while now, at what point you you felt you did know what was going on? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, what? Like, like what's the what's the use of media if like you kind of get to pick whatever you want to believe? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, there's people. Well, out there we're like, we're getting away from from uh, straight down the middle of journalism, and we're getting towards partisan journalism, uh, where people just use it for their own. For their own benefit. And, uh, yeah, it, it make, I'm sure it confuses the general public. I mean, for guys like us who have you know, been in the business for a while, and you can read a story and you can kind of pick your way through, okay, this right. source said this, this source has to be protected, this source did that, where you kind of at least you know, can see the, the wires moving the puppet around. I can't imagine the general public you know, saying, I don't know whether Comey should have been fired or whether he shouldn't have been fired or whether he was fired or whether the DOJ, DOJ was behind it or whether the president was behind it. And, and, you know, that's a good point. Why are the Democrats screaming? They've been wanting to get rid of the guy for six months. So, yeah, it's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a confusing week. Yeah, and I think to apply that back to sports, uh, Murph and I were talking about this. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're talking about this earlier today with Jeff McClain, which is that if you're a fan of the Eagles, you're going to be inclined naturally to consume news, generally speaking, that you like to read, that you think reflects well on your team. So that when a story comes out that appears to have, for lack of a better way of putting it, kind of like chaos or discord at its root, the Eagles can then just rely on another media member who's going to just kind of spit out whatever party line they want spat out. And the fan base is going to go. Oh, okay. Well, then everything's fine. But like what I'm saying. So but what I'm saying is, I woke up this morning, and I I hadn't really followed the story, but I woke up and there were two different stories. There was Brandon Graham is having a holdout, and then there was Brandon Graham is not having a holdout. Each each story citing sources. Like as a reader, like you said, Bob, I then go. Th- I do the whole CSI journalism thing and go back right. and try to figure out who are the sources. You know who's telling who, who what, what was the chronology? But like normal people, like we're getting to a point where like we're essentially telling them like just to tune everything out because if everything's reported as reality, then something you know somebody's lying, and if you don't, you have no way to know whose source to trust or who to. Tr- it's just I don't know. It's very discouraging. Well, and you use the the term normal people, normal people who are hanging on uh, on May 
11th on whether or not Brandon Graham is going to go to an OTA. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, normal. I, I, I use normal. Normal, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, I, I use normal in a very relative sense. I mean, we're not. We're, we're sitting here having a podcast in a, a abandoned video studio um, in an abandoned uh, Wing shopping, building, ma- shopping yeah. mall uh, talking about people who are interested in this stuff. So I, I guess we're all, in a sense, abnormal, completely, complete losers. Uh, but within that context, like, if you're an Eagles fan, you have no idea what's going on right now with Brandon Graham. Right. So what? So, like, what? what's the point of anything? We're all just... <laughs> nihilist, hashtag I mean, nihilist Murph. There, there is no meaning anymore. <laughs> I feel like Noam Chomsky. I mean, he, he's, not exact, he's not exactly mean Joe Green, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh, you, you know, I mean, Brandon Graham's a nice player, I guess, but two years ago, you know, he was a bust, and now he's now he's someone that you're going to worry about whether or not he's going to be, you know, I'm running wor- around in shorts at an OTA. I am I not know. worried about Brandon Graham. I'm worried about the Republic, Bob. I'm worried uh, about Bob running around in shorts. <laughs> but, but, but I bet you Bob wears short shorts. What, what length of inseam do you wear when you're playing softball, Bob? Uh, I wear shorts. I bet he's got like the quads, sh- the, the quads rippling. Oh yeah, he's he's not he's not out there in the basketball. It's very shorts. much like Apollo and Rocky running on the beach in Rocky Three. Ugh. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure Bob hears that. Thing. I hit a home, I hit a home run today. Did you? I did. I hit a home run. Let's stick to softball. Did here, it go Bob. over? Did it go over the fence, or was it like an inside the park home run? Uh, there was no fence. Ooh. So I just. Uh, so once so you got home, how? Yeah. Yeah. How long did you sit in an ice bath once you got home after circling the bases? Oh no! Went went right to the gym and and uh, and uh, did did fit ninety or something. I can't remember. Maybe <laughs> so, it was fit so hundred. Maybe it was fit hundred. Who know. who plays softball before two p.m. on a uh, Thursday? Seniors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you got to get to dinner by three o'clock. That's true. Um, so people well, can't. You, you got to get the early bird special. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is <laughs> half price apps on Thursday. Half price apps on Thursday. Is senior softball like like little league baseball, where like does it go back full circle and like your coaches are pitching to you, or? Uh, there's no if that's what you mean. Uh, no. All right, no so you you brought something up about Howie, and I think that this is how would you said Howie is known as the contract guy. How would you grade? He is known as the contract guy, kind of mostly because he looks like Theo Epstein. I think you know, like. He's like young and ahead of the cur- age curve, but he's the one who gave Vinny Curry the contract that Brandon Graham is upset about now. Um, he's the one that gave Michael Kendricks the contract that like he can't trade away. He's the one that gave um, Chase Daniel the contract that they'll be paying six million dollars for him to not be here. Uh, I mean, they're spending eleven million dollars on backup quarterbacks this year. Like how how contracty? How like is he really a, a contract genius, Howie? Uh, not right now. I mean, they're barely, they barely have $2 million in salary cap space. They, they are hamstrung. Uh, we're, we're losing you. We're losing you, Bob. We may have to call okay, you back. I'm sorry. Are you, there you go. Are you no, still with me now? Yeah, yeah now we we're good. You. Now we're good. Okay. I mean, they have barely $2 million in cap space room, uh, which is the, the least of any team in the league. And they're really hamstrung in terms of any moves they want to make. So, yeah, that big spate of contracts last year with Ertz and whoever else it was, Kelsey, Johnson, all those guys, it, it was, you know, right now they look like he overreached on that and put them in, into a bind. 
And yeah, the quarterback situation with Chase Daniel was, was obviously another one, but, uh, and thank God they got out from under Sam Bradford by, by luck. But, but yeah, so no, he's not looking like a super contract genius now, although what he did was absolutely out of the textbook of Joe Banner of when you sign guys and when you don't sign guys and you get them, you know, before they can max out somewhere else and walk away from you right out of Joe's textbook. And it worked a lot for Joe and Joe was considered a cap genius. So maybe how he just had a, had a bad run of luck with that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter when you sign guys, if you're going to sign them to awful contract. I mean, Vinnie Curry, they could have let him hit free agency and he wouldn't, and he wouldn't have gotten the contract that he's signed to right now. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's going to be the sixth, sixth highest paid defensive end in football this year. And, and, you know, you're look you're you're looking wondering how he's going to get any snaps for the Eagles. Yeah, no, that was clearly a mistake. So yeah, how he's how he's not looking real good on that one. So are you going to Pete McCannon's press conference today? I am. I will be there. For those of you who do not know, um, and again, this is Thursday. Earlier this morning, the, the Phillies announced a two-year contract extension for Pete McCannon. That I believe, if you're if you're to go on the tomato meter. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it would be getting 100% from the Philadelphia media because oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure everybody has advocated for uh, the Pete McCannon contract. Extension. Everybody loves Pete. And they should. I mean, what's there not to love? Or am I wrong, Bob? Are you, uh, are you a hater? Well, he, I'm not a hater, but I, it's really amazing uh, when a guy goes 121 and 160 and <laughs> – you know, and obviously it's not his fault, and he's not being blamed for 121 and 160. But uh, let me tell you something. If if those percentages continue for the next two seasons, the, there won't be another extension. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's look. We, I and I'm not a hater. I, I really, really like him. I think he's a good guy and a good manager. But, you know, losing baseball teams don't often – keep the guy who's losing with him <laughs> so i guess the question is this is one question that that kind of has occurred to me over the past week given the way the bullpen has performed is this team how good would this team be if it had a bullpen um i mean are we like are we at a they're hitting i mean they're hitting they're they rank at the top half of the league in runs in extra base hits they you know they've gotten some pretty decent starting pitching um more or less you could argue the bullpen has cost them four or five games at the very least. Um, are we at a point yet with this team where we should start to be uh, holding the front office and the management or the manager's office to a higher standard? Like, should they be winning these games or are these kinds of losses, you know, are they like John Mar Gomez as your closer? They're just kind of inevitable when you have, you know, the makeup of a roster that this team has. Yeah, uh, in answer to your first question, I think if, if everything goes really well, it's a 500 team. I mean, and I, I understand that the offense looks a little bit better right now than maybe was anticipated. But, I, you know, and that's sort of the message that, that uh, the manager sent out before the season that, hey, you know, we're just going to try to play 500 and, you know, maybe see what happens, you know, and baseball is a see what happens games. And terrific. But I don't think you could be held accountable because I thought the bullpen was going to be pretty good. They thought the bullpen was going to be pretty good. It's something, and you know what, maybe the bullpen will stabilize and will be good, but I think it's a little early as we sit here in the second week of May to start saying, geez, this team could have been, you know, 
trying to sniff contention if only front office had done this or that. I thought they did a pretty decent job with the bullpen. Maybe you disagree, Murph. I don't know. I don't disagree. I I just try to yeah try, just try to give uh give the other side a, a platform because I get a lot of people who do disagree with me on email. Um, I have one guy who refers to Matt Clentech as boy wonder. He yeah, might, he actually he might, emails me too. He actually might play in your softball league. Bob. <laughs> Uh, but he refers to uh, Matt, hashtag True Delco. He he uh, he refers to Matt Clentag as Boy Wonder, and every time the Phillies lose a game, he emails me about in a taunting tone about Boy Wonder and how well he's doing. So, yeah. You know what I find interesting about about Pete, and just to finish that conversation, is that uh, he and Brett Brown are in the same situation essentially. You know, they they're really really liked and they're really respected. And and they haven't won a damn thing. You know, so it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> well, doesn't that speak to? I mean, that that though speaks to, you know, in some ways the minimal impact that a baseball manager or an NBA coach in certain situations can have, doesn't it? Uh, well, I think to a lesser extent, a baseball manager. I think an NBA coach does have an impact on on his team and on on coaching. I mean. What's what's Pete going to do? Hey guys, let's run the bases clockwise today. I mean, you know, baseball. No, let, how about let how about you know? let's burn Freddie Galvis at the stake because he made a couple f- bad throws. I mean, let's get real here, Bob. Oh, Mike, do we have to get real? Does that mean we're going to go start talking about Comey again? Oh, God, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, I don't, don't want to. Galvis. I've come out very strongly and say I don't think Freddie Galvis should be burned at the stake. Okay. That's the that's the strongest position I'm going to take today. Okay, <laughs> that would uh, make you a bleeding heart liberal t- 200 years. ago. Yeah, that's right. What are you anti witch yeah. hunts? Come uh, on. Um, yeah. Since you brought the Sixers up, so I think that the one thing people, I think I think Brett Brown and Pete McCannon have the same kind of appeal to people, which is that like they haven't shown that they can't do it yet, and there's really no way for them. To, it's almost like proving a negative, you know. Anything they do is what is expected, and, right. and it helps that they're both good talkers. They're both silver foxes who uh, are quite handsome, dapper gentlemen. <laughs> they are. Um, you know, I think, and I think the question a lot of people have is, like, is this are they are they going to last to when they're good? Do you know what I'm saying? It's almost like a mercy. Like, give these guys all the years they can because everyone knows they're going to get fired as soon as this team as these teams get good. Kind of like uh, what's his name in uh, in, in Chicago, Renteria. Uh, when Joe Madden right. staged his coup d'etat. Uh, I, I don't know about the Sixers because that organization mystifies me a little bit in the way they handle things. And uh, I think Brian Colangelo is a bit of a wild card in, in his history. But I don't think the Phillies are going to fire Pete if when they start winning. I mean, why would you? I, don't, I think this group listens to him and plays hard for him for the, for the most part. And and that's really the job of a manager is just keeping guys going in the right direction. Uh, basketball coach might be a different thing. I mean, if they, they get Simmons on the court and Brett Brown can't figure out how to make him a point guard or how to use him and it doesn't seem to be working, yeah, I could see, I could see some changes being made there uh, even when they're getting good. But I don't, I don't see the Phillies moving past Pete. I don't think he's going to be, you know, Bobby Cox. I don't think he's going to be there for 15 years. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he can if he can survive this next transition. Yeah, I, th- I thought the extension was significant because I thought, you know, I, I I do think there was some not quite like hard to perceive 
tension. I don't know if that's the right word, tension. But the idea, for instance, that, you know, McCannon kept getting asked about Aaron Altair for a week or two about, you know, are you going to say he's a starter? Aren't you going to put him in the lineup every day? And Pete would say, well, you know, maybe kind of, sort of, when, you know, I think what was going on was the front office brought in Howie Kendrick to play and turn himself into a trade ship. And so the front office would have liked, would have preferred at some level to see Howie Kendrick out there. And in a way, the fact that Altair was tearing the cover off the ball complicated matters for them. And I think Pete kind of felt that. And I wonder, you know, I, I think it's it's good for him, obviously, on multiple levels to get that to get that extension because now it's like, okay, I am along for at least a little bit of a longer ride here, and you know, um, you know, it's not a matter of if I don't do what the front office wants me to do, then I might be out the door. Yeah, I think I think that I, I would actually look at it vice versa, where I think the more like the the inverse is almost the more tension. The, kind of the t- tension of competing goals from a front office that's building for the future versus a manager who needs to show that he can win baseball games. Yeah. Uh, not, I mean, just in terms of a broad, in this pers- mm-hmm. specific situation, you might be correct. But in terms of like, I'm being asked to prioritize the Phillies in three years right. when I'm not even signed through three years. Right. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, yeah. And in that way, playing Howie Kendrick is the long-term move. Right. Yeah. Or even just like... Um, you know, like how how much rope do you give? You know, Tommy Joseph at first base. How much right. rope? You know, how much rope do you give Michael Saunders right. in right field? Exactly. And um, you know, like how you know how long do you stick with Hector Neris as your close, or just stuff like that? Where like there's a lot of moves where, you know, you would make one move if you're trying to win. If the most important thing is to win this game today, you make one move. Where if the most important thing is is development, you make another move. And right. it's tough to do that when you're on a one on a expiring contract. So I think in that sense, um. You know, but I still don't know that you. When I say like, by the time by the time the Phillies get good, Pete, we still will have no idea if Pete McCannon can manage a, yeah. a good baseball team because right. at that point in time, you're talking about your bullpen, you're talking about how you keep, you know, how you sub, pinch hit, all the stuff that doesn't really matter right now. That we all just kind of like. I think I think Pete McCann has been great developmentally, but you know, it'll be interesting to see if you know, a Joe Madden becomes available or a Buck Showalter, a Buck Showalter, yada yada yada, but. I think the Sixers are the more interesting team at this point in time because the draft lottery is coming up uh, May 16th. Bob, I know you will have your uh, popcorn ready. What what are you looking at um, in terms of what are you looking at in terms of uh, what this day means for the Sixers franchise? You can't predict what's going to happen, but like, how should they be approaching this? Uh, and free agency too. I mean, the off season in general. How do you take the next step? I guess is what I'm asking. What yeah. should the next step be? Uh, I mean, obviously, if you had a crystal ball, which we don't, and we knew how good the Los Angeles Lakers were going to be next season, this would be, you know, maybe not as perilous uh, a day as you look at it uh, coming up. Uh, you know, they, they can't do anything to affect the lottery. Right. The lottery is going to be what it's going to be, and the odds are that they're going to get two picks, you know, not big odds. I think 53 to 46 or whatever, whatever the breakdown is. And so if you get two picks, and obviously one of them would be their own, and, and so what, 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 let's say you come out with what, – what's the best you come out with? One and four, right? Right. One and four? Yes. Yes. Okay. One of the questions I have, and they've got a lot of young guys, quite obviously, between Embiid and, and, and Simmons and, and Sarich and, and the two guys they're going to get 
this year. And then I, I guess we'll still have to count Okafor because nobody's taken him. That's an awful lot of guys who are really going to hit a salary bubble mm-hmm. at the same time, isn't it? Yep. I mean, don't you think that at some, at some point, and I don't like to refer to people as assets, but some of these assets got to go somewhere. And I'm not just talking about Okafor because, you know, I'm not even sure you're going to take him on a next contract and not let him walk. But somebody else has to be moved. And that, to me, is going to be really fascinating because people are very excited. Oh, look, we've got this guy and we've got this guy and we've, and we've got a chance to draft these two guys this year if it does turn out to be two guys. Well, get excited about them if you want, but somebody's going away. And it might yeah. be Dark. Sarge. It, it sure isn't going to be Joel Embiid if he's if he's healthy, but it, it might be Sarge, and and they might pick the wrong guy to send away. So I think they've got some really really difficult decisions. Not maybe not this off season, but coming up pretty soon within a year or two. As just as they're trying to crest, getting where they want to go, and you know maybe that'll be maybe that'll be the path to do it. Is you have to get rid of a really good young guy to get the veterans that are going to solidify your roster in order to, uh, to, or to really compete. So do, do you see any of that too? Well, uh, that leads to the question I wanted to ask you, Bob, which is to revisit a column you wrote a couple of weeks ago. If you're them, do you, you know, do you go ahead and make a play for a guy like a Paul George for that, at least in part for that reason? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. And you know, the numbers are crazy, and I don't know, did they ever announced the All-NBA teams yet, so we know whether or not he's he's one of those designated veterans. Yeah, we don't know yet. Where he can, yeah, we, he can make $80 million more right. with, with the Pacers than he would somewhere else. Uh, I think he's getting, is he getting the, the Russians to manipulate that vote and then, like, kicking $40 million back to them, I think. Yeah, and, I, you know, it's easy for us to say because it's not our money, but if you're getting 120 million, is a is 80 million or 190 million going to make that much of a difference in your life? I mean, maybe it will. How much baloney can one man buy, for God's sake? It's, it's uh, anyway. But yeah, the Russians the Russians are absolutely interfering with this. And uh, is that the Nets? You mean? That's what's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, let's. So I think the big thing, like here's to me the the kind of the mind the mind jumble. Uh, mm-hmm. of this offseason and the draft. Like, so Brett Brown talks a lot, and we talked about this last week, uh, of Ben Simmons as being his point guard. And, you know, you know, let's just, like, take the term point guard out of it for semantics sake. You're going to have two guards, and if Ben Simmons is one of them, you know, obviously somebody else is going to be the other. I still think you have to have two ball handlers on the court. Yeah. But the question is how much, for a guy who has not played in the NBA – uh, for all the potential Ben Simmons have has, how much do you allow his presence to affect your strategy, both in free agency and in the draft? For so, the for instance that I keep coming back to is, let's say you you know get to a point in the draft, let's say you're picking fourth or fifth, and Malik Monk and his teammate Darren Fox are both on the board from the University of Kentucky, and let's say you have. Um, you know, De'Aaron Fox rated as a potential future all-star point guard. Um, and you have Malik Monk, you know, a little little less uh, projectable than him, but you have him as like 
a uh, you know a future you know starting two guard right. in the NBA. So the question is, if De'Aaron Fox is the best available player on your board, but you you know, but Malik Monk is still draftable to you, to you, which way do you go? Do you go with player who could potent you you believe could potentially develop into an All Star point, um, or do you allow the fact that Ben Simmons might fit better with a you know solid number two NBA two man? Um, do you allow that to affect your decision making? That's that's I'm curious to see what they would answer and what do you think should be the answer, Bob? Uh, I don't think you can go into a, any off-season strategy or a building strategy uh, thinking your plan is going to fail. In other words, your plan to use Simmons at the point. Because uh, then you just have to you know, cross your fingers too many times. And, and plus, the Sixers, regardless of Simmons, uh, with the way they're being constructed right now and, and their, their issues – they have to get a shooter. They have to get more than one shooter. But Whatever there is no shooters. shooters. I, w- I would take Monk uh, over over uh, Fox. Fo- Fox in a heartbeat. Okay. I, for them. Mm-hmm. For them. Now, I, I agree with you. I think that the Darren Fox might turn out to be a better player overall, but he's certainly going to be more of a slash and fish guy. And, you know, that's exactly what they see Simmons as, too. Uh, so they have to have guys they can spot up on the outside and make defenses play honest. And so I like Monk. I get it. But, but I'm thinking more in the abstract here where you're a better team 10 years from now if you draft the guy who's still in the NBA. You're, you know, you're not a better team if Malik Monk doesn't turn out to be anything. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you'd, 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 rather take, you'd rather be duplicative at the point – if Malik Monk is going to turn into be what? I mean, like we're talking about a draft where there's two or three NBA players that come out every year, you know, like, I know, I think, I think you're, I think you're, how we were talking about Dante Exum. Right. Right. You know, exactly. But that's what I'm saying. So like, do you want, or justice Winslow or like, you know, uh, to me, you should be trying now. I I think it's like the NFL where if you have a quarterback, you don't look quarterback and in the NBA where if you have the big men that the Sixers have, you don't look big man. Right. But anything else, I mean, it's like really hard for me to say, uh, you know, we, well, I mean, he's going to be a really good player, but he's not going to be our type, yeah, type of good player. And, and the and the, I mean, this to be honest, I mean, look, this is fun, and you guys are are on in a lot of what you're saying, but this is why, in a way, this kind of discussion is pointless until ten o'clock next Tuesday night when we find out what picks they have and when they have them, because we haven't mentioned Lonzo Ball. But like philos- might, philosophically, it's not pointless. No, I philosophically, mean, it's not pointless. But my but. You know, if they get the number one overall pick, the question answers itself because you can play Fultz with Ben Simmons, presumably. If they get the number two pick, you know, then the question becomes, you know, Lonzo Ball, right. you know, a big guard who, at least statistically anyway, can really shoot. So, you know, and then LeVar, of course, you know, becomes another question entirely. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I agree that's a valuable philosophical discussion, but. You know, we're we're throwing darts blindfolded here until we know when they're picking. Bob, him. what do you, Bob? What do you think about Lavar? Factor? He's really, really. Te- he's really. Te- oh, oh, you mean the father? The dad? Yeah. 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 Uh, no, the kid's really, really talented. I love him. Uh, yeah, I do too. But like, is the dad a factor? I say, yes, you're darn right he is. <laughs> <laughs> like, how big I, of a factor? I think, I, If you had two guys you liked exactly equally, you wouldn't take the guy that hit that guy as a father. I agree, but the, but 
But you have two guys exactly. That's the Michael, fast. Michael, I have a question for you. Michael, I have a question for you about the uh, about the lottery. Okay. Do you think there's any way I can make the eleven fifteen Amtrak? <laughs> I don't know. Have you been reading what's been going on at Penn Station? What do you mean, like the guys sleeping in the bathroom? Yes, it's about? it's it's like the Hunger Games there. I mean, it, Penn Station is just an absolute mess. What is going on? I, well, fill me in. because Like, there there were people, there were lines of people outside Penn Station yesterday in New York City because the station itself was so packed because so many trains were delayed. Now, I don't know if that's just a, um, a problem with the Long Island Railroad, um, if it's New Jersey Transit and Amtrak involved as well, but apparently Penn Station is even more of a mess than it usually is. I was going to ask you, Bob, if, you know, we were going to end up having a carpool up together with uh, Narducci and Keith, Bar- Com- Keith Pompey. Uh, I don't think that's going to be necessary. I hope not. I think I can make because I don't I like you guys. I, I don't want to be in a car 15. with you. I don't want to drive. I don't want to drive to Hamilton and take the take the New Jersey Transit. That, to me, that's that that doesn't help you out at all. And then you know, if you want, if you're on the one a.m. New Jersey Transit train, oh, that's a fun experience too. <laughs> by the way, usually I'm taking the one a.m. New Jersey Transit train after a Big East tournament game, and Kern's on there with me, so it it, it flies by. <laughs> so would you take Lonzo Ball if he yeah. was if he was at number two? If you were if you had the two picks, who who got taken at number one? Fultz. Yeah, Fultz. Uh, boy, I might have to. I might have to. I, I think he's going to be really, really good. Uh, but but he would. But I would have to really think about it, and I have to really think about. The other guys were still on the board. What do you? Who goes number three? If that, if those fall one and two, who goes three? Um, if I'm drafting, Josh Jackson. If if I'm drafting, I would take De'Aaron Fox, but I would take Jackson. Um, if I'm the Sixers, wow. if I'm the Sixers, but I don't like Josh Jackson. You don't? No, he's, he's just he's the small forward, right? Yeah, yeah, he's the Kansas, Kansas forward. And again, we're say something like that. I'm I'm somewhat talking out of my butt here, but um. Yeah, like I, I don't know. Well, that's I just, unusual. That's yeah, unusual exactly. <laughs> um, We're gonna call this I not, an, else I was not another Ace Ventura podcast. Uh, yeah. I had something else that I was gonna ask. Oh, here's a question I've been asking everybody that I encounter. Um, we got to let him go. He's got to get to the McCann Impressor. Would you trade Ben Simmons for Kristaps Porzingis straight up? No. Okay. All right. I'll see you at Pete McCann's presser. All right. See you guys. Thanks, Bob. It was great fun. Get the get the coffee mug for me. All right, you got it. All right. So anyway, that's uh, Bob Ford. That's Bob Ford, friend love, of the podcast. Love having him on. What do we? What do you think? You thought you like the Pete McCann contract? I do. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're not in a position. You know, they are what they are as a team. He seems to have the right temperament for it. I think it will help him a little bit that the clubhouse knows he's going to be here a while. Um, that might give him a little more leverage over some of these guys. Tell David Benoit to be quiet about the whole, you know, knowing your role in the David Benoit. Thing. Joaquin Benoit, excuse Who's me. Who's David Benoit? David Benoit is uh, another pro athlete in another sport. Was he a wrestler? No. He might have been a basketball player. I think player, Chris I Benoit was a... Uh... Chris Benoit is the wrestler. Okay. Um, maybe David Benoit was a hockey player or something. You, I don't uh, know. What else? You wrote, you wrote about Freddie Galvis this week. I wrote about Freddie Galvis. Um, and, what did about, you, and, what, and, and I know the headline said you thought he was the shortstop of the future. Yeah, that's I'm not, not sure what I wrote. That's not exactly that's what That's not said. what I wrote. Um, and I was getting subtweeted about it by people who are still back in J.P. Crawford. Um, no, my basic point was that 
you can win games with Freddie Galvis right. as your shortstop. And you're, and J.P. Crawford's not doing anything yet at AAA right. that makes you think he's going to supplant no, Freddie all Galvis. all you said was, was, hey, Freddie Galvis is playing well. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. Like, uh, like you can, here's, here's my thing with Freddie Galvis and my thing with a lot of the Phillies. And, and it's very similar to where they were with, like, when Ben Revere, Michael Young. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's most of their lineup could be in a playoff lineup. But you can only have one of them right. in a playoff lineup. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like Two if, at if most, Freddie yes. Galvis is your shortstop, he's batting eighth in a playoff. He's batting lineup. eighth, and you can't have uh I mean before that I would have said Cesar Hernandez, but he's he's been like you can't have You can have Mike Alfranco the way he's right, you can't have you can't be get you got you have to be getting uh you can't get subpar product put it this way. In the NL, I think you can get Below average production at one spot in your lineup, mm-hmm. maybe two if the top of your lineup is can, can make up for it. Right. But like you can have a bad eight hitter, but mm-hmm. as soon as you don't have a seven hitter, uh, that's when you start to really struggle. Like right. like go back through NL World Series teams. You get Julio, Lu- how many teams was Julio Lugo on? How right. many teams was, um, you know, uh, those Giants guys? Look at those like Giants guys. Yeah. Like you can have an Edgar Renneria right. on your Angel team. Angel Pagan is an right. outfielder. Exactly. You know? But you gotta like you gotta make that up elsewhere. Yeah. And where the Phillies, the challenging thing about their rebuild coming up, um, both with regards to the rotation and with regards to the lineup, is they really don't have um, those big pieces right. um, yet. Right. And you're, you're curious as to, like J.P. Crawford, even if he hits a ceiling, is not projected to be one of those big piece types. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, exactly. Like Michael Franco, you know, he was he could be, but he was also always like his ceiling was always like a fifth you know, number five yeah. hitter or number five or six hitter on, right. on a good lineup. Right. You've got to hope that a guy like a Rice they Hoskins becomes, I yeah, mean, if, but, they, if you think he's going to be that. But the question is, you know, do you go, like, where do you get those guys if they're not in your system? And I think the Sixers are kind of in a similar situation. Um, you, you have a lot of assets and a lot of inventory, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily have anything that you can hang your hat on just right, yet. Right. Um, taking a beat out because of the injury questions. Right. Um, like, yeah, you, you know, you, you love... Like, my question about Colangelo, and we're kind of like mm-hmm. switching back and forth yeah. between two sports, but, like, will he make the most out of his assets? Because right. I don't think the Sixers are at a point where you can go in and, and be in love with anybody on your roster at this point, up to and including Ben Simmons. Like, mm-hmm. you're still at a point where you've got all the cards but you've got to make the best hand. Yeah. And I don't know that you should limit yourself by saying, this is Ben Simmons. He's definitely our point. We're going to build around Ben Simmons. Um, Not again, at this stage, no. I mean, that's, even yeah. like Sarge. Like, for instance, like, what if you get, um, like, what if you get the number three pick? And, you know, say, say Boston, let's say Boston's like, uh, you know, you can have number one for Dario Sarge and the number three. Mm-hmm. You know, like, these are the kinds of things right. that I think Sam Hinkie would be spending all of his exactly. time. Yeah. I don't think there would be any contingency that Sam Hinkie would overlook. The question I have with Brian Colangelo is, does he think like that? Do right. you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. does he would, would he even think to connect some of the dots that Sam Hinkie right. would connect? Right. You know? Yeah, that's a good. Does question. that make sense? No, like, it does make sense. And you know, you contrast that with the feelings of the fan base. I think, which is, you know, they do want some so- solidity, solidness. They want a sense of like, okay, this is the team we're moving forward mm-hmm. with, and. They may not be at that stage. You know, I go back to something that uh, Hinky said in an interview I did with him right after, not long after he got hired, which is, you know, I asked him about, I had asked him about the lack of patience generally that Philadelphia as a market will have. And he's, his response was, look at it this way. He said, if you think of it as war, 
you you have to be armed sufficiently and have the weaponry sufficiently to win the war. Just wanting to win the war is not enough right. because you'll go out there and you'll get destroyed. And he said the idea of speeding up how long it takes to get the weaponry to win the war doesn't necessarily work. Right. You know, and that's the thing that I think the whole city with all four teams is kind of grappling with is like, yeah, where they're impatient and they want things to get going, but that doesn't mean that just because, let's say, the Sixers decide, okay, we're going to stick with these guys and go with it, that doesn't mean that they're in a position to compete for anything realistic as a championship or a division title or anything well, like, like that. So like, here's a hypothetical. Let's say Boston ends up getting the number one overall pick, which they're currently favored to right. do, um, which is amazing yeah. when you consider huh. it. Um, and maybe, let's just say for the sake of the argument, let's assume that Markel Fultz and... Isaiah Thomas, both are players who need the ball in their hands. Right. Um, again, just for the sake of the argument. Mm-hmm. So let's say Boston gets the number one overall pick, but says, you know, this is not an ideal situation to have Fultz with Isaiah Thomas. Right. But what if we offered the Sixers the number one overall pick for Ben Simmons hmm. or the number one overall pick plus X? Yeah, for Ben Simmons, um, you know, there's just so many. Di- I, I feel like where the Sixers are at, where the uh, here's what I would say to that: where the Sixers are at, they really have to think about that. Mm. With respect to your earlier point about Brian Colangelo, I don't know if he does exactly. think about that. So I, all I'm, I guess, what I'm saying is everyone's so in love with like. I think most towns are probably like this, but Philadelphia definitely like they. Everyone just falls in love with people who haven't like let them down. Like mm-hmm. everyone's willing to get like Ben Simmons. People think I'm going to be Le- is going to be LeBron. And when you you know when I I asked on Twitter, would you trade Ben Simmons for for Porzingis straight up? It was like ninety percent no. Mm-hmm. You know like, and like a lot of trolling, inflammatory tweets telling me right. I was an idiot for even <laughs> suggesting it. And like I think there's an argument to be made either way, but the fact that like. You know, you, you can't fall in love with it, – it's like a girl, like the halo effect. Like, mm-hmm. right now, Ben Simmons, you know, you can make him into anything you want him to be in right. your mind. But the fact of the matter is, is you don't know what he is, right. you know, and you're, you're not going to know that. Um, you know much more of Porzing- – there's much more risk with, you know, Ben mm-hmm. Simmons than, like, a Porzingis. All I'm saying is – this is far more abstract than I'm making it sound. What I'm saying is you need to be willing to do anything at this point. Yes. You know, like you you need to be willing to say, like you should be looking at it as, um, is Ben Simmons plus Malik Monk our best option? Or is, you know, De'Aaron Fox and say, f- just if it was on the table, mm-hmm. De'Aaron Fox and Chris Stapps for Zingas. Like these, this is the kind of calculus that, that you need to be right. constantly weighing. And it goes, you know, way beyond Ben Simmons to Sarich to... Mm-hmm. The Sixers have a lot – there's a lot to be excited about the Sixers, but there's just also a lot of, like – they have a lot of inventory at places that, you know – Right, and this is harder to do, quite frankly, in a market like Philadelphia where, you re- you know, the entire populace cares so much about their team and it is about the team. You know, this is something that I've written about lately with respect to daily fantasy sports. Like, more and more for- sports fans around the country are kind of detaching themselves from that kind of strong hometown – loyalty I feel like certainly there you know in in certain markets that's lesser than it would be in a place like Philadelphia or Boston or New York to an extent you know in Philadelphia it's very much like we want the Sixers to do well and we want to connect with the guys who are here right. so it becomes harder to 
think about or perceive these kinds of big changes. You right. know, it's like, well, we've been waiting on Ben Simmons. We want Ben Simmons because we've been waiting on Ben Simmons. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's also because I mean, Ben Simmons does have more potential than Chris. Like, if if Ben Simmons fulfills his potential, right. he's a more dynamic NBA player than Kristaps Porzingis. I just think people like people like, aren't going to look at it the way exactly. you're looking at it. They're just like not. they, un- and it's because of the the factor you just mentioned is right. like you you know you talk yourself into love with. Mm-hmm. somebody and you because kinda, you want to love them you yeah. forget about all of the the potential pratfalls right. and you don't take a necessarily realistic view of the, you know the risk slash reward right and if situation. you and if it so happens that you you will yourself into loving the right person then great but you may not i feel like there's a lot a lot of emotional we, baggage yeah we, we got to peel this. back some layers of your onion here. all right well i i need to um <laughs> I, speaking of which the onion which we learned a lot about at LaSalle University. I just learned today that Mike Sielski will be the commencement speaker at LaSalle University. That's amazing to me. Congratulations, buddy. Thanks. Thanks. Um, yeah, it was a, it's a I'm thinking about organizing, honor. like, I'm getting, thinking about getting Angela Cataldi to organize a bus trip <laughs> oh, no. to the LaSalle <laughs> commencement. Oh, that would be bad. And we would bring Flyers fans. We would, like, open it up to Flyers oh, fans. Oh, you could bring, you could, there are a lot of people you could bring. You'd the, bring Howard Eskin. You could bring, uh, you know, the Doug Peterson fan club. So, like, you know. You're remarkably, uh, you're, you're remarkably calm and collected for a guy who has a big speech to be, to, to make. I have written the speech. I have written the speech. I read it over at least once a day to make sure that it, I have it as close to memorized as possible, um, in case the pages blow away while I'm reading it. I mean, like, is this going to be, like, is this going to be one of those things where like Baz Luhrmann sets up the music and we can like listen? to You know, it? it's funny. In the original draft of the speech, I made a reference to that Baz Baz Luhrmann song Wear slash speech. Sunscreen. Wear sunscreen, and then I took it out. Um, which actually, that song came out 20 years ago. I know. This, now, it came the year out I graduated. Yeah. The year I graduated. It came out when South. I was in high school. Yeah. When I was just a young angst-ridden. <laughs> and now you're an old angst-ridden whatever you yeah, are. Exactly. But yeah, that's, so it's like, what's your um, like, what's your number one takeaway you want the, the class of 2000? Oh, yeah. Like, was, what's the what's the point? Uh, Well, I have, I actually, I have six. Water piece, is quote, wet. Yeah. Quote, unquote, six pieces of advice. Um after getting into the fact that I'm really not in any position to give advice to anybody. Um, you know, just various things about, like, what was the first one? Um, well, one of them was, you may not love your job, so find something about your job, the job that you have that you can love. It doesn't necessarily have to be about the job. Uh, the final piece of advice I give is, um, compile and keep a list of the 10 best days of your life. Because it will show you, as you keep that list over time, it'll show you, how you're changing, how you're evolving, huh. something like that. That's uh. Now do that. Here's a question: Do they make? First of all, you are aware that seventy-five percent of the audience will just want you to finish. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, I was very hungover during yes. my graduation yeah. speech. Yeah, and I couldn't even tell you who spoke it. <laughs> and I really feel bad in hindsight because mm-hmm. it was probably someone like you who like is. I- I'm hoping it's like a temperate day so that nobody. Pukes it was very hot. Speech. It was very hot when I graduated from LaSalle University. Very yeah. hot. Um. Yeah, that's like, do they make you, do you have to, um, do they have to read it first? No. Ooh. No. That's like dangerous. Yeah. Le- you know, what's interesting is Villanova uh, has Michael Bloomberg giving its okay. speech this year, um, which I assume, you know, and I'm doing LaSalle's because I presume I came cheaper. Um, uh, yeah. Let's be honest here. And also, um, like, that's just very, that kind of sums up the LaSalle. That's Villanova. the LaSalle yeah. thing. Yeah. That's, that's totally it. They get the former mayor of New York and a billionaire and LaSalle gets me, so. But hey, I'm looking forward to it. Will there be a, will there be a, a digital audio recording of this? Uh, I think my father-in-law will be bringing a <laughs> camera, something like that. So, so are you? This is like fascinating because I'm nervous just thinking about you giving the speech. I'm like terrified of public speaking. Um, 
I, I honestly, um, like I couldn't even imagine what my stomach would feel like standing up there. Honestly, I tend over my life, I have tended to in many situations feel more comfortable speaking in front of a group of people, even one as large as will be there at commencement, than I do one on one. Hmm. Because like I, so I remember like I was in uh, my first day with the Daily News in mm-hmm. 2008 when I was hired to cover the Phillies. My first appearance on Daily News Live, what was then Daily News Live mm-hmm. on Comcast Sportsnet, was in the play. The Flyers were in the playoffs. This was a long time ago, obviously. Um, and it was on the the set was on the uh, concourse, the concourse at, at the, the walk, whatever it was then, the Wachovia yeah, Center, the center, uh, the center, uh, as Matt Leon Leon would say. <laughs> um, and I was like. There are all these like people around. Mm-hmm. Like I'm fine. TV's fine for me, but like it was all the people standing around the set, like mm-hmm. watch, like all, just like the Flyers fans filtering past, like yelling at Michael Barkin. Like I was like terrified. <laughs> you know, it's I'm really not. Everybody's good at pop- different. Everybody's different. Like I can't. You know, I, when I was single, I couldn't. Like I had trouble like approaching an attractive woman in a bar. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I would love to see. that. Couldn't do it. I can't do it either. Obviously, you which know. is why I'm not, I'm still single. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to talking to you about this commencement speech. Okay. I'm kind of disappointed that you didn't mention it. Um, oh, well, you know, it's not the kind of thing you go around like telling everybody. No, but it's like you've like arrived when, when you give a commencement speech. You know, like it's. We'll see in case you know if somebody bum rushes. Like you the said, stage Michael Bloomberg is giving it. Uh, you're gonna be listed. You're on the marquee with Michael Bloomberg. Like who does Penn have? I don't know who Penn has. Kate Fagan. Uh, formerly of the Inquirer, now at ESPN, gave the one at her alma mater this year, is giving the one at, at Colorado? Colorado. Nice. And I know Kevin Nagandi, I think, from yeah, ESPN. Yeah, Temple has, has done it at Temple. Gave it at Temple. Um, yeah, it's like yeah, big time, man. It'll be fun. You should It'll make a coffee table book out of it. I don't know about that. Water is wet. Yeah. <laughs> was that was that Emerson? David Foster Wallace? Yeah, I think so. Um, anyway, we'll we'll. Uh, I would love to get a copy of this and play some... Right. Some bites back next week. All right. Well, it's it's the twenty first, so we got to wait two weeks. Oh, really? We always graduate on Mother's Day. Uh, not anymore. They pushed it back. Mm. All right. Well, see you guys.